This electrical marvel will make it possible for you to sleep again. And it will also get rid of all those bad waking dreams that you've been telling me about. We are at the dawn of a new age. In just two months, it will be the year 1900. A new century. The 20th century. A century of electricity. The brain itself is an electrical machine. It's nothing but a machine. When it malfunctions, then the brain produces useless excess currents. And these excess currents are our dreams and delusions. Just like the dreams that you have, Dorothy. Now we have the means to control these excess currents. Would you like to go for a ride, Dorothy? guys i did it i did it uh hey this is jose galison you're watching no way jose you can find this on youtube all the major odd pockets odyssey actually i don't know what's going on see i've heard there's some issues with that lately but whatever i don't know if it's still working it's still up there uh then also rumble that's a big one i'm really trying to push it but uh if you're watching this i'm now finally past that strike period uh, if you, you know, I mean, I guess by the time this comes out, it'll be like a week later, but I've just been dropping them all on YouTube lately. Just one every day, uh, from our series. Cause like basically the whole series thing getting put on YouTube. So, I mean, I would recommend people start checking out rumble, but I will try to get like the, essentially the important stuff. I'll probably do this just literally the only stuff I'm probably going to upload from, uh, or that I'm going to put on YouTube that's on rumble that isn't on YouTube. You know what I mean? Uh, it's pretty much anything that's like a playlist type thing. So it's only going to be the RFK stuff. And I have one episode from Democracy of the God that Fails, that live reading series that I was doing uh, with Toad. So go, if you want to get that extra content, you got to go to Rumble. And there's going to be going forward, I'll you know definitely start putting more of my stuff up on YouTube. But I will, uh, there will be some stuff in the future that will only be Rumble, almost certainly, considering the content that I cover. So... You know, if you want to be able to get all of it, you, you just suggest getting on there. Or, you know, you can uh, follow me. You can support me at Patreon for as low as two bucks and get that early stuff. And then, you know, you'll always be up to date on what's going on there. 
That's patreon.com, snowyhose 2020 I'm going back to reading my sponsors at the beginning. Uh, that's the highest level. Those are my sponsors. I'm going to quick shout out every episode. I'm going back binning, beginning, uh, putting at the beginning because one of my uh, one of my patrons, uh, a few of my patrons actually, you know, said they prefer the fr- the front. And you know what? You, you pay, you get. That's what you get. So we're we're back doing that. I figured it made the flow a little bit better. But you guys like that dopamine boost at the beginning mentioned. So I'll give you guys a quick mention. I have Toad, who's my co-host on Tower Gang. You follow him on Twitter at Tower Gang Toad. I also have at Abrogate D's, uh, A B R O G A T E D E E Z. Uh, go give him a follow. He's a good mutual of mine. And Kevin B. Clark, a full-time guitarist and private music teacher in the New York area. So if you're looking for someone, a guitarist for a gig, or you're someone to teach you music and you're in the New York area, he's your guy. Then at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K. And then my new guy, at underscore infinite zeal. Uh, that's patreon.com, snowwayjose2020. Uh, I do want to remind you guys, toplops.com, that's where you can get my uh, Terrence Yeeke didn't kill himself, Kenneth Threnadu didn't kill himself shirts, or just a No Way Jose shirt, or other merch from other shows, or on show related stuff, just for my buddy Top Lobster. Uh, and yeah, I think that's all the uh, all the bills that have to be paid there. So I, today I have, as you can see by the title of this episode, I have Lisa Pease joining me again, and we're getting back in the RFK stuff. Uh, and yeah, with that, hey Lisa, how you doing? <laughs> Doing okay. How are you? Good, good. We had a little bit of technical difficulties at the beginning with me being an idiot, but here we are. I'm looking forward to it. Last episode, we kind of covered the main suspects, and we were talking about this episode covering the ones that should have been suspects. And the idea has expanded since then, so we're going to kind of, you know, back it up, do a little bit of CI history, and we'll kind of, oop, just bumped my computer. And then, uh, yeah, technical difficulties abound today. Um, but. <laughs> And then we'll, it'll kind of wrap up perfectly into kind of the suspects that uh, should, or the ones who should have been suspects uh, that weren't. And that, that kind of is a cohesive. And I think that, by the way, I do want to give a shout out. I keep forgetting to PsyOps on Twitter. He's actually the one who's did both his intros. That's a new intro today. I think that one kind of fit well today since it was kind of like an older theme. We're kind of going a little bit of history, you know, kind of history. kind of That kind of ties in like history of mind control type stuff is what they're getting at there. Uh, a fun little intro. I liked it. Uh, Psyops is a man. Go give him a follow. But yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. We're we're gonna we're kind of touching on the history of the CIA and stuff like that. But I want to start out with uh, every episode we've been doing it. I know it's a little bit redundant, but I just want to remind people your credentials real quick, and then we'll go ahead and get into it. Sure. I've been researching the assassinations of the '60s for about 30 years plus. Uh, I wrote a book on the Robert Kennedy assassination called "A Lie Too Big to Fail." The Real History of the Assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. I assume he's getting the book to hold up. (laughs) There it is. Yeah, Uh, 10 years of work just on that book alone. So I was uh, very determined to tell both the truth and to document it so people could follow in my tracks and pick up the trail because not everything is known. You know, all these years later, had they really dug into it, it would have been a very different story. But I'll talk about why that didn't happen. <laughs> well, all right, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, I guess you kind of, this is sort of your proposed idea, so I think you might have a good idea of where to start with this and how to wrap yeah. it up. But let's, I guess, start with wherever you want to start. I want to take we'll you back to World War II, because really there was a, a seismic shift on the planet. Up until World War II, Great Britain had been the leader of the world, if you will, or of the free world, huh? you know, with all their empire building and, 
you know, but they were the primary mover and shaker of coups around the world and other European nations engaged in it, but nowhere to the extent of Europe, I mean, of uh, the UK. And then after World War II, they were broke. You know, they, they spent all their money on the war. They got hit. They had to rebuild. And so they kind of looked to the United States. It's like, can you step in and fill this power void? And, and so at the end of World War II, it's interesting because during World War II, we were allies with Russia. You know, we, we leaned on them heavily. Roosevelt met with Stalin to fight back the Nazis. But almost immediately, as soon as the ink was signed on the end of war treaty, our new enemy was our former ally, Russia, or in that case, the Soviet Union. And uh, so instead of, how do I want to say, uh, instead of uh, taking a progressive route, we actually got back in bed with the Nazis, the very few people that our forefathers and our parents and grandparents were sent to defeat. And it was primarily the moving and shaking of Alan Dulles and his brother, John Foster Dulles. John Foster Dulles was running, um, was Secretary of State under Eisenhower, who uh, got elected. Well, first, you know, the FDR died, Truman got elected. It was supposed to be Dewey. You know, I'm sure you remember those headlines, Dewey wins. Alan Dulles was backing Dewey, a Republican. Uh, didn't win, uh, the Democrat won. Uh, but then shortly after that, of course, there was another election and then Eisenhower took over. And that's kind of when we the country took a really dark turn. And it's funny because my parents and my friend's parents, they all think very fondly of Eisenhower. They ran a really good propaganda campaign. I like Ike, you know, and yet he's the guy who overthrew Mossadegh in Iran and and Arbenz in Guatemala and all these fairly decent nationalist leaders who were not communists, but just wanted to be able to run their own economies. And the Dulles brothers saw it in a very British way in the sense that, you know, you're either a subservient state to us or not. So anyway, I want to talk about how the CIA was formed, because I think everything makes much more sense years later if you understand what happened then. And so at the end of World War II, there had been this thing called the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services. That was the forerunner of the CIA. They ran covert ops and, and, and a lot of propaganda campaigns. But at the end of World War II, they were kind of in limbo. No one knew what to do with them. And a lot of people in Congress wanted to shut it down. It was expensive. We weren't at war anymore. You know, we just defeated the world's biggest enemy, supposedly, in Germany. And, and the Cold War hadn't quite ramped up yet. Uh, but this, the people who had been doing that, they literally had so much fun killing other people and running these covert ops that they ran an operation against Congress, against our elected officials. <laughs> they literally suborned the secretaries. They went around and got them to spy on the people they worked for. A, an army colonel went around and did that and collected all this data and then basically took it to these Congress people. It's like, see, this is why you need an intelligence service. Look how much data we were able to gather in this method. And of course the implied threat is, and we will tell everybody about that affair you had, those drugs you took, that loan that you shouldn't have, you know, gotten and, and so on. You know, so they were literally blackmailing Congress and not only Congress, they actually went after J. Edgar Hoover who was famous for doing this himself, you know, keeping his black files on politicians so they couldn't dethrone him. Well, the CIA 
took a page from Hoover's book and basically got pictures of him having sex with his associate, Clyde Tolson, and blackmailed him with that. And it's interesting because as I was researching my book, I met John Meyer, a man who had worked for Howard Hughes directly. He shared an office with Robert Mayhew in Las Vegas, and the two of them were running the Vegas operations for Hughes from very different points of view. Uh, but he told me that after the assassination, he met with Hoover and Hoover told him, I know this was a CIA operation, but I'm powerless against, you know, and he specifically named Robert Mayhew. He's like, I know this was a Robert Mayhew operation. I'll come back to Mayhew in a minute, but I want to keep this thread for a little bit longer. So not, not only did they like blackmail to get the agency started, they continued this throughout the course of the agency. I'm certain they are still doing it. In fact, in one of the books I was reading, um, Tom Braden, who was a CIA officer, uh, went into Alan Dulles's office one day and Alan Dulles quoted something that Tom Braden had said to his wife in bed the night before. And Braden's like, oh my God, are you bugging me? What the hell? And it turned out James Angleton had approved taps. They weren't only bugging Congress people and senators and things like that. They were bugging each other. I mean, they were literally bugging everybody of any power in the agency or outside the agency who could have any effect on their future. Angleton even said something like, it's, it's unconscionable for a Secret Service not to know, you know, to have to play by the overt rules, you know, it's, it's like we should have the power to break the rules. So anyway, that's, that's the mentality you have to understand. So now we're up to like the Korean War and the CIA is trying to get rid of the North Koreans and the communists. And, and it's all about markets. It really isn't about ideology. It's just the communists kept the money in their own countries and didn't trade with us. And so the only way to force them to trade with us was to dethrone the communists. So that's really what that was about. It's always painted as this ideological battle. It's not. It's always about products, money, uh, pathways, you know, trade routes, and of course, oil. You know, in the past hundred years, that's been primary. Uh, but one of the things we did is we sent uh, balloons of bioweapons into North Korea, and uh, one of the CIA people I met had joined the CIA by, because by accident he'd been in the army, but had gone to the wrong mess tent and ended up with the CIA guys as they were discussing the balloons and the bioweapons. So they quickly sent the FBI to his hometown. It's like, who is this guy? You know, can we hire him? Because now he knows our secrets. We need to bring him in. And he was never really a, a willing participant. You know, at first they just had him flying planes. And and then they had him dropping bombs to blow up roads. The Soviets were coming down and he wasn't, you know, too upset by that. This was in Africa in the Congo as, as we were trying to take over the Katanga province for its rich rare earth minerals there that are now in all our electric computers and airplanes and stuff. Um, but when they started bombing people and villages, that's when he got out. He's like, I just can't be a part of this. Um, most people don't get out and most people take their paycheck and most people in the CIA, they understand that if they've learned a really important secret, they have to die with it. I mean, people are always like, Oh, how can so many people keep a secret for so long? It's like, because you'll get killed if you tell it. That's an easy incentive. Right. 
and even if you don't get killed, you can be stripped of your pension. You know, it's like you're suddenly broke in retirement. Who wants that, right? You spent your whole life serving the agency. And bottom line, of course, the people who do spend their whole life serving the agency, they believe we have the right, which I don't, to go in and disrupt other nations, overthrow, you know, change their elections, buy their newspapers, propagandize them. It's hilarious because it's all kind of come back now to, to the United States. I feel like there are a lot of foreign actors here in America pumping up the right wing, just like we used to do in companies abroad, I mean, countries abroad and buying up our media and putting out a version that makes us want to throw our good leaders out and take some bad leaders in. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Uh, but this is this is the pattern. So this is what's been going on. And then you have to add in, so with the North Korean thing, the reason I brought that up is that they had to lie about that because it's illegal by every international treaty to send bioweapons into another country. And so Alan Dulles came up with this great plan. He's like, oh, you know, our Korean soldiers were brainwashed. You know, the, the Soviets got a hold of them and they did this whole mind control. And then that made all the headlines because, of course, the CIA has its media organ. Um, the CIA literally, when the OSS was formed, it was formed as a propaganda organization. So that is like at its deepest, the CIA has always been a propaganda organization. Everything else is layered on top of that. But they saw right from the start that you control the media, you control the world. And so if you're going to kill a president and kill his brother when he's running for president, it's very important that you control the media so they don't tell you that that's what happened. So uh, Eisenhower, I don't think he understood this. I don't think he knew he fell for the Dulles brothers. And yet he did appoint a panel to like review their operations. And this panel's like, oh my God, we're interfering with the elections of other countries. We're buying their media. We're doing all these things we wouldn't ever want somebody to do to us. We're not following the golden rule of good statehood. And this is gonna come back to bite us, which I think arguably it has over the years. Uh, so we have this mentality that it's okay to do these horrible things all in the name of democracy, but it's really about money and private money that doesn't go back to the public, that goes into the coffers of the Rockefellers or the Morgans or, or the Dulles brothers and, and their associates because the CIA people learned how to play that game too. And they invested in the stock market, you know, based on what their friends told them and they bought their land holdings and, you know, they were profiting and they also learned how to print their own money. Their operations were CIA literally printed their own money in other countries and disrupted the economy of other countries by printing their own money there and spreading it around. I mean, the things that have been done in our name are so shocking. And so the killing of Robert Kennedy should not be that shocking if you put it in that context. And by the time they killed Robert Kennedy, they had already killed JFK, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and in Brazil, they had overthrown Goulart, you know, around the hemisphere in the entire, like, our part of the world, they had overthrown every leftist leader. And Robert Kennedy was kind of the only leftist left standing. And it's funny to call him a leftist because part of him was right wing too. I mean, it's like, it's hard to categorize the Kennedys because they do have these, um, you know, it's like a foot in both camps. 
I consider them extremely liberal, but some people, you know, see certain parts of them and consider them extremely conservative. And and we're both right, you know, on, on some level. So that's yeah, blue dog Democrats me. is what people I don't know with my yeah. audience. Just to clear up, I know. I, mean, I feel like my audience probably understands, but I know when you use the word leftist, my audience is traditionally more right. It, it has a different connotation when someone who considers himself a leftist or from the left uses leftist. It's different than liberal, and it's different. So you're. I feel like leftist is kind of yeah like to describe that to my audience who may not know that is kind of like the blue dog democrat the, the rfk the jfk that kind of rough vibe i mean maybe you can give a better as opposed to the yellow dog democrat yeah. which were kind of the hypocrites the criminals the the guys who just want were in it for themselves and there's still a lot of those in congress too so uh but to show you how much power the cia has gained over the years jay rockefeller he was a senator for many years. He stepped down recently. I think he died. Um, he is John D. Rockefeller the fourth. He is a direct, you know, descendant from that line, and he's like, I'm powerless against the CIA, and he's a Rockefeller. So when I hear people say, Oh, you know, the Rockefellers have all this power, it's like that stuff gets diluted. But the CIA doesn't because it's an agency. It's an organization. It never gets diluted. If anything, it just continues to grow like this virus taking over our country and i we need the cia don't get me wrong i'm not one of these people who's like i want to destroy the cia i mean you know kennedy said i'm going to destroy the cia and send it to the winds and i i i know that that can't be done we do need an intelligence service i just would like to see them reined in and accountable and especially accountable for the things of the past it's like all the people who were alive in the cia at the time these guys were killed they're all dead and to me, it would make so much sense if the CIA would own up to its past history and vow to do better going forward. Um, because it's out there, and the fact that they keep denying it is what's splitting our country apart. Because people with knowledge don't trust the CIA. CIA needs our trust to survive. So I think it would be in their best interest to say what really happened. So what really happened? <laughs> All right. Well. I mentioned Robert Mayhew earlier, and Mayhew had been with the agency since the 50s. He'd set up his own little Mission Impossible agency. I, I lose track. I'm so sorry if I'm repeating some stuff that I've said here before because I've been on so many podcasts. But he, he was hired by the CIA to kill Castro. He was the point guy. He was the project manager for that. You don't pick a guy to off a foreign head of state, especially one that's in bed with Russia, who doesn't have a track record of that. So whatever else is in Mayhew's background, assassinations are part of it. When I met John Meyer, who shared the office with Mayhew, he said his first words about Mayhew, he's like, oh, that assassin. I'm like, you saw him kill people? He's like, no, no, he arranged assassinations. That was his thing. And so he was known for that. And that's why the CIA chose him for the Castro plots. And I'm pretty sure that's why they chose him to get rid of Kennedy. They love to portray the Castro plots as these crazy plots. Oh, they wanted to make his beard fall out and, you know, an exploding cigar. Those are the things you tell Congress so that they don't go poking into the very serious plots that almost worked, right? You know, that would disrupt the national order if they came out. I know those plots exist. I just don't know the details of them. But, you know, Castro knows the details of some of those and has talked to reporters about them. Um, but anyway, so... 
We have Mayhew. He's got access to the Hughes money, which is incredible. I mean, it's just like nonstop. I mean, Hughes is making money hand over fist. And he had a security guy working for him named Thane Caesar. Now, this CIA guy who got joined the CIA in Korea that I mentioned earlier, his name was Carl McNabb. And when I met Carl McNabb, he told me that uh, there was a connection between Mayhew and Caesar from Bel Air Security, which is the company that provides security to the people who live in Bel Air, which is much richer than Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills is like the $5 million homes. You know, Bel Air is like the $40 million homes, you know, so... Uh, that's where Howard Hughes had lived in the 50s, and then in the 60s, he went to the desert and lived at the top of a hotel there. Um, but clearly, there was an established connection between those two. Now, here's what else we know about Mayhew. Mayhew had worked with the LAPD, and I am laughing as I tell you this because it's so bizarre, but uh, he made like a porno flick shot very darkly and grainy and poor quality on purpose so that you couldn't see it was two actors, but it was supposed to be Sukarno and a blonde Soviet agent who was, you know, technically controlling him with sex. And now Mayhew claims he didn't bother to distribute the film. He's like, I got all the way to Indonesia, but I, I just thought the film was such bad quality, I didn't share it. I call BS on that. I think Mayhew's whole autobiography should be read with a big tongue in cheek because I think he's lying through his whole book, but it's almost like he's bragging at the same time. <laughs> but he was directly involved with people very close to the, the group that investigated the RFK case. He was also personal friends with Peter Pitches, who was the sheriff at the time, and it was the LA sheriffs who got to the hotel and were able to pull bullets out of the wall before the LAPD even showed up. All right, so you've got this guy who's super connected. now. Thane Caesar, how did he get it? Well, he got in through Ace Security, and his boss at Ace Security, William Gardner, was formerly LAPD as well. I'm sorry, William Gardner was hotel security who hired Ace. All right, but you start to see that Mayhew was working his LAPD connections to get his people in place at the hotel. All right, there's also, I, I mentioned in my book, there was like a QJ Wynn office in Los Angeles, which I think is really interesting because the church committee was told that QJ Wynn was just one guy, a very good shooter, who they also used as a spotter to find other assassins they could hire. All right, but it looks like it was a much bigger operation and the whole thing was kind of known as QJ Wynn. It wasn't really just one person. And so if they had a QJ Wynn office in LA, that meant they had a, a pool of assassins. And I'm 100% certain, as you've learned if you've been listening to me, that Sirhan was not one of them. <laughs> Sirhan was tricked through hypnosis into being the patsy, pulling his gun and firing on command. Thinking Caesar, I don't think he was tricked. I, you know, There's a video of him in the documentary called The Second Gun, where he goes on and on about how you know, the Kennedys and they're terrible and, you know, there's going to be a race war. And, you know, he had a very definite anti-Kennedy point of view. And I don't think he would have thought twice about having the opportunity to kill him. And I do think, how do I want to say, that the rhetoric level in our country at this day and age is such that both sides feel justified in killing the leader of the other. And I think that's completely wrong. And we should try and get away from that mentality because 
every person has value, no matter how crazy or weird or different they are from us, everyone has value. And bottom line, we all have to share a belief in democracy itself. And if somebody wins an election, and I know, you know, some people dispute that that's what really happened. And I'm somebody who's actually written about, you know, electronic voting and cheating and scandals. And I looked into it when Trump was saying that. And honestly, I couldn't find any there, there. But, um, you know, assume we have to go with who the people elected, even if we totally disagree with them. And that's what keeps our country together. Otherwise, we're going to devolve into tyranny because people think, oh, if we had less government, we'd be more free. No, if we have less government, every company is going to be a fascist empire. All right. It's literally our government is what stands between us and corporate fascism. So it's super important that we have a democracy functioning and that people like Robert Kennedy, you know, don't get taken out by bullets and his son. You know, You're making me bite my tongue, week. Lisa. <laughs> what did you say? You're making me bite my tongue. <laughs> it's okay. I do want to remind people there are plenty of times. There's been plenty of things you've said that I don't dis I disagree with. I mean, normally not factually stuff. It's more like political philosophy type stuff. But I'm not yeah. going to, for the purpose of a podcast, I don't want to hear anyone say, oh, when you push back this. I'm not here to talk about that. I don't care. I'm here to talk about RFK. And that's yeah. what I'm interested in. And like, whatever, we can have our political disagreements. I don't really care. I mean, I don't, obviously I don't and that's, agree, but it's, it's I not even. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I'll get off my soapbox. But, but so let's talk about Thane Caesar some more. Cause he's so interesting. I mean, he had a background, he was married. He, he broke up with his first wife, had a second wife, had kids. At one point, Dan Moldea, who wrote his own book on the case, that's really bad. Uh, he, he interviewed him on a lie detector. He's always been kind of Thane's, almost like Thane Caesar's case officer, to be perfectly honest. It's like he's protected him. If you wanted to interview uh, Thane Caesar, you had to go through Dan Moldea for several thousand dollars. Um, and Dan Moldea tried to clear him by giving him a lie detector test. But the questions on the lie detector test are really interesting. Like, aside from these years, did you ever beat your children? <laughs> In other words, he did beat his children during those other years. I mean, just the way the questions were asked. And it's like, could you have killed Robert Kennedy, you know, if you wanted to? And, and you know, Caesar was like, no. And that's just factually inaccurate. He was literally right there at his side. And Kennedy was shot on the right side. It would be so easy uh, for uh, Caesar to have hidden those three shots with his own big bulky six foot two body a little stocky and no one would have seen him like i said the only shot he would have been exposed is if he brought his gun up to kennedy's head that people would have seen and that's why in my book i i talk about the two witnesses who did see a gun at kennedy's head but it wasn't connected to Thane caesar and i'll, I'll leave that because we've talked about that before but um so i got really curious it's like I, I was Googling him, you know, every year or so, see if there's anything new about Thane Caesars. I'm working on the book. And one day I Googled and there was a LinkedIn profile for Thane Caesar. And I'm like, hmm, CIA assassin on LinkedIn? That's interesting. So I clicked through and had a picture of him and it said CIA contract agent. And it listed like some bullets of some like CIA stuff. 
And I'm like, this has to be fake. I mean, no CI person would ever be allowed to do that. You'd be surprised. That. Same well, thing happens I at OKC. David Holloway, who was uh, who was at one point, another individual, Andy Strassmeyer, uh, he lived with him. But there was like a, a chain of these agents that like, or uh, agents, you know, and yeah, he's one of yeah. them. And it's like, he, you could look up in his LinkedIn. I forget if it was CAA contract or, or what it said, but he, I think he worked for... I'm gonna kick myself in the butt if I can remember Evergreen or one of those cutouts. I forget the specific. Oh yeah, Evergreen's a cutout. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I forget specifically which one, but it is funny how, how common that is. Yeah, and now LinkedIn is how do I want to say? It? You submit your own data, you know. So if, if you say you're CIA, then it goes up there. And so I just I didn't trust it, and I wasn't gonna put that in my book. But I did. That did get me curious. And there are these public record databases. I used one last week, you know, for our other show to look up some information on the guy who almost shot Robert Kennedy. But, um, sorry, I, I just lost where I was going with that. Oh, I, so I went to these public databases and I, I paid, you know, good money because these reports aren't cheap, but they're very in-depth. They, at, the, at least at that point in time, this was about, say, almost 10 years ago now, um, you could get people's full employment history, all their relatives, neighbors, um, any bankruptcies, any, you know, crimes they had committed that were on the record, you know, it's amazing the information you could find. So I, I, I pulled like three different reports from three different agencies and they all three said that he was a CI contract agent. And one of them listed literally an address that's the back gate of Langley. Cause I looked it up on Google maps and like, where is that? And it literally, when you get to the back of it, you realize you're at the back of the CIA. <laughs> Like he gave that as an address. I mean, I think the guy maybe not that bright, not that savvy, and definitely not that overseen by that point in time. But he had also worked for the Mormon Church, which is very interesting because the Mormon Church and Howard Hughes and the CIA formed a very interesting nexus in Utah for a long time. Um, Hughes contributed to the church. The Mormons guarded Hughes, and all of them worked with the CIA together. And, uh, and then Thane Caesar had also worked at General Motors in Detroit. And that's interesting because he never lived in Detroit. He only lived in California. And this was before the days of the internet. <laughs> so it wasn't like he was working from home. And he had post office boxes in Los Angeles, but also in DC. I mean, you know, this is how agents often get paid. You know, money is sent to your post office box and then you go pick it up or your assignments are dropped into your post office box. They don't mail it to your home. They don't call you up and tell it over the phone. That's not how it works. And so everything about what is in these profiles supports him being CIA. However, they all end, you know, they only go back to like the 70s. So I can't say for sure who he worked for in the 60s. I can only say from the 70s forward, he definitely seemed to be, you know, the CIA contract that he claimed to be. Now, there's also a guy who did a FOIA request, a lawyer in San Francisco, for Thane Eugene Caesar's records and also uh, Enrique Hernandez, Hank Hernandez, the same guy who interviewed Sandy Serrano. We never really talked about, but she's so often talked about in this case, I didn't feel the need to dwell on it, but she saw the girl in the polka dot dress and then the policeman basically told her, you didn't see that. You didn't see that. And she's like, yes, I did. And he kept her for like two hours tied to a lie detector until she retracted her story. And by 11 o'clock, she was ready to go home and realized she was never getting out of there until she did. So she retracted. 
but I don't buy the retraction. And anyway, Hank Hernandez and Caesar both had operational records at CIA, but they were not subject to disclosure through FOIA. And so that's what the lawyer was told. And then he tried to pursue that a little further. And then it was as if the CIA realized what they had done. And they're kind of like, well, we never had any records on those guys, which is what they said the first time. So I believe what they said the first time before they knew who they were and why they were significant. So uh, anyway, uh, Thane Caesar was working as a bodyguard for Howard Hughes when Mayhew was there in Los Angeles with him. Uh, Mayhew's partner in his little security firm was Jack Hooper, again, a former LAPD guy. So you've got this whole ring of LAPD guys and then the CIA guy Mayhew and Thane Caesar, who's like, you know, will do whatever's whoever's bidding. And Thane Caesar was also seen in the company of some known assassin. Maybe he was an assassin in training. But when John Meyer then learned that Caesar had been in the pantry. John Meyer was supposed to be in the pantry. He was a friend of Robert Kennedy's and he had planned to go there. And the day before May, who's like, don't go, you know, I'm not going to send you, you know, we're going to wait. And, and then the day that he was dead, he's like, okay, you know, he went, he's like, you're going to introduce me to Don Nixon. Now Don Nixon was Richard Nixon's brother and May uh, Meyer had been very good friends with Don Nixon. He had been kind of assigned to him, get to know him, befriend him, and he did. John Meyer is like super funny guy and really personable. So if you want somebody to go befriend somebody, that's who you would send because he's super likable. Um, but then Mayhew's like, okay, you're done with Don Nixon. He's mine now. And he goes to Don Nixon. He's like, well, we got your brother in the White House. It's almost like either Nixon knew or Mayhew wanted him to know so that it's like, and if you don't do our bidding, we'll get him right back out of the White House. You know, these these guys aren't shy about admitting their role in these things in the appropriate setting. So, you know, far from keeping the secret, some of them do talk, but not to people they think will tell. And of course, at that point, when Meyer overheard this, he was still working for Hughes and very much a captive and didn't know what to do with that information. And even years later, he was afraid to talk about it. And at that point, Mayhew was still alive. And the first time I learned about Meyer, I'd written an article on the Robert Kennedy assassination for Probe magazine. And he contacted me, he goes, you wouldn't believe it, but Canadian intelligence and the CIA up here read Probe magazine. <laughs> So he's like, why don't you come up? I'm going to tell you some stuff. So I did. I went up to Canada and I went to his house and he took me on a tour of Vancouver. Funny, you know, I had a rented car, but he wouldn't let me drive him in my car. He was a little worried about being kidnapped. So he drove me in his car and took me around. But yeah, he he hinted more than told at what he had. And it took a long time over the years to get some of the goods out of him. But uh, it seems very clear that Mayhew put Caesar and probably others in place. And again, Mayhew was connected to the, the people in the CIA that were the mind control people. Um, James O'Connell, who was tapped with the Lumumba plots, but he was part of the Office of Security. And that's where all the mind control programs, MKUltra and Bluebird and Artichoke, were all hidden in the Office of Security. And... So it's like there's really no one better on the planet to have done this who had all the right connections than Mayhew. So, and then he 
basically bragged about it to Don Nixon in front of Meyer. <laughs> so hard to say that we don't have a really good case against him. And so I, I mentioned that I wanted to say then why hasn't this ever been reported? And this goes back to the CIA's control, 100% control of the media. And this came out in like the, I think it was the 70s, where a document came out where the CIA had sent a letter to its media assets in 1967 saying how to talk about the JFK case or how not to talk about it and tell, you know, emphasize that people who write about this are only in it for the money and they're in love with their subject and, you know, they're kooks and no one's going to believe them. And we hear all those same themes echoed today, you know, 50 years after that memo came out, you know, 55 years or whatever. And, but it's not just that. In the 1990s, Robert Gates, who was head of the CIA at that point in time, put out a memo about this task force on greater CIA openness, where they're basically bragging and said, we now have relations with every major media in the country. And, you know, again, if that was 1990, it's still going on. And so it is good that you have these podcasts that people can come to and listen to. You're never going to get the real truth anywhere else, especially if somebody has an opposing political view, at least Jose is kind enough to <laughs> let me tell the truth about this. I really appreciate that. Thank oh, you yeah. so much. <laughs> oh, it's really not a big deal to me at all. I, I don't, I'm not one who likes to belabor <laughs> arguing over politics. I find it mostly pretty, pretty useless, but uh, I mean, you, you have valuable information that I want, and I think we have a lot of agreements on the points that matter. And so I'm, uh, I'm overjoyed to have you here, uh, you know, with your knowledge and I mean, it's, yeah, we differ in politics, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is part of why I guess a little bit like it, why I'm an anarchist. Cause it's like, I wish there weren't politics. Cause I mean, if anything, yeah. it's just a dividing thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think you're a great, great person. I, I, I like to, uh, like oh, to think you. you like me as well. So I mean, I that, that stuff is like kind of meaningless yeah. somewhat, uh, aside from, you know, who, who we want to be, I guess, our leaders or, or not. Have yeah. Leaders, or I guess not. Well, leaders, it, I think that's seems yeah, I think that's oh, yeah. the important lesson is we have to lead. We have mm -hmm. to be the media. We have to, you know, lead the initiatives we want to see happen in the world at work. I'm working on, you know, pushing some sustainability things. It's like I didn't wait to be asked. I just jumped in. You know? And that's what I encourage everyone to do. You just have to find your spot. You know, I quoted years ago, I wrote an article titled Lead from Where You Are. And that was a quote from a famous local activist. And he, even when he was bedridden towards the end of his life, he was still picking up the phone and calling Congress and making things happen. And you can't believe how much power people really have when they decide to do something like that. You really can change the world. So I don't want anybody to get discouraged by any of this. And even though there are secrets out there, my God, look how much you learned in the last few episodes, you know, about your country, your history, what happened in this case. And of course, the Oklahoma City, I, you know, I'm still uh, slogging through that book. I, I never have time to read. So I totally want to finish reading uh, Aberration in the Heartland of the Real. I think that sounds like an amazing project and, and uh, good research. But, but the key thing with all these conspiracies, the one thing they all have in common is the media will not tell you the truth. And it's not just that they're lying. They really don't know. And I've seen the media now from the inside. I've actually been on a couple of newscasts where I did get that break. 
and they literally don't have time. They get like, they have to come up with an hour's worth of news in about an hour. <laughs> I mean, they really don't have time to tell an in-depth story. They don't have, I spent 25 years on this. You know, of course I know things. No reporter is going to be given a 25-year assignment. And so follow the crazies, you know, look for the people with that level of passion who really dug into a subject. They probably know it better than any official or any PhD who studied it for four years to get their master's. You know, it's like they don't know it the same way those of us who really dug in know it. So that's my little plug. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. I, I agree with you. I mean, on the, on the point of like influence or getting involved, I'm, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I don't, it's not like I have a huge show or anything, but I mean, I'm not going to like name out things, but there, you'd be surprised once you start getting the mix, the kind of influence you can have, the things you can make happen, uh, just as a simple, you know, just as one person, I mean, obviously you got to kind of like learn to network and work with people. You can't be yes. an island. So you have to, right. I mean, like, look at me and you, we're not even, we're, you know, politically we're very different, but we agree on one thing and here we are sharing information to better each other. Uh, I mean, obviously it's a little bit lopsided in my favor here with this information <laughs> exchange, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, this has been masterfully done. I think this episode, we took basically what was three episodes, wove them into one, or you did. And, uh, so with that, is there any other points that you felt like you want to emphasize or boot? Or, well, or well I do want to tell else? people, okay. yeah, as much as we have covered, my book has still got like five times as much information in it, and both in depth and in breadth. And so no amount of talking on the podcast is going to substitute for reading my book. I'm not trying to sell a book. You can go get it for free at the library. I don't care. I want you to have the information. That's why I spent all that time and so much of my life putting it together. I, I used to do a lot of teaching. So I tried to structure it in a way that, you know, where every piece builds on the previous and you just can't replicate that in a podcast. 100%, you know, yeah. I, I, I will say one thing I, I wanted to mention that I never worked in anywhere. I'm just going to throw it out randomly. But one of my questions was, with all this evidence of conspiracy, how did they hide that from the jurors? Because it's so obvious. And they came up with a very ingenious scheme where they created a grid. They put up a map of the ambassador and then it did a grid of like two foot squares and had witnesses tell you which part of the grid they were in. So you didn't know if people were literally an inch apart or four feet apart because of the way they did the grid. And that's how they hid kind of the positions of Sirhan relative to Robert Kennedy and how far apart they really were. You know, they, they made them look like they were within an inch of each other when really they were closer to four feet apart. <laughs> so anyway, but there's so much more and there's, there's also, here's the other thing I want to say, because we all listen to podcasts. I have misspoken on podcasts. I've said things with the wrong name. I'm sure everybody has. A podcast isn't as good as a book in that sense, because if you want real facts with backup documentation, sources, and you should check those sources, because I've picked up people's books and they have footnotes and they link to something. I go look in that book and it's not there. They just made that up and sourced a real book thinking no one would look. Well, I look, and that tells me a lot about who's a good researcher, who's not, who's careful, who's not, who's on the up and up, and who's flat out making it up, because there's a lot of that, especially on the conspiracy side. And so if I could leave you with any parting thought, it would be that 
just because somebody says it's a conspiracy doesn't mean they're on your side. And you should be wary of all information until you can verify enough of it to know who to trust. Oh, a hundred percent. Cause uh, you know, as you mentioned with the media before they say things with certitude while clearly not knowing anything. And if anything, like the mark of a good researcher is kind of the opposite to where they tend to have a, uh, have, and sometimes, I mean, if anything, I, I do it to my detriment sometimes as well, where we hedge things so much. You're like, well, you know, if you look at it from this person's perspective or if from this or that, like you, you never feel comfortable typically, unless it is something that's very definite, making definite mm-hmm. statements because you're like, well, I know, I mean, most people wouldn't know this, but there's this one in- witness who conflicts this and like, whereas most people aren't right. that way. And if you were some media head, you just go, this, 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 this happened. And here's my strong opinion on it. And it's like, okay, <laughs> it, it is, uh, it, it is weird. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I very much enjoyed this. Uh, I mean, we, I guess we're kind of here at the end now. I think next episode yeah. will probably, I mean, unless we change, which we kind of change with this one, we'll, we'll likely <laughs> probably go into the trial stuff. I think that, I think that's the next move. I mean, obviously, you know, the information better than I do. So let me know if that's different, you know, in the meantime, uh, if you feel like something be more appropriate to build on at this point. But I think we're, it seems to me we're getting to the point where it's time to shift gears and start getting into the trial side of things. Um, but yeah, yeah I, and you, you had a lot to say. I, I will, I want to admit, like, the, the book thing is, like, definitely way better than any podcast. Uh, you know, I, I, I prefer in a lot of ways audio learning personally, but I think you get more out of both. And obviously, a book, you're going to be able to. Uh, you know, I, don't know. I, I like these though, because for me personally, especially where I sometimes go on, you know, other shows to talk about this stuff, it helps me to be like, have like a, I, you know, obviously let's say with aberration, I, I'm reading it right now. I'm almost done with it. And like, but for me, so I have that background of deeper knowledge, but then I also have these podcasts that I can listen to to kind of spin me up whenever yeah. I'm getting ready to go on other shows so I don't fuck up, you know, uh, <laughs> with that, yeah. uh, you know, let's, let's go ahead and get out of here. Let uh, people know, uh, you know, where they can find you at, where they can find your work, your book, yeah, you know, etc. Well, the best place to find me or contact me, I love to hear from people, especially after you've read my book, is uh, at Lisa Pease at on Twitter, which is now called what X. Oh my God, I hate that rebrand. <laughs> it's still called Twitter. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, well, the the site formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> Um, I have a blog. It's called realhistoryarchives.blogspot.com. I have articles going way back there. Um, You can search and find things there, uh, but it doesn't usually come up in a search engine. So I would recommend go there and dig around. I've written about many different subjects over the years, not just the Kennedy assassinations. So, uh, yeah, check it out. All right, pleasure as always. Uh, I did want to give a quick shout out. I got a gift recently from a of an audience member, so I just want to say thank you, uh, W. David Lilly. You can follow him on Twitter at Pardon Will Art. He gave me this uh, kind of Deadpool looking like the QAnon shaman. Wow, <laughs> that's really talented. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty neat. So what does I appreciate the text that. Say? What does the it text says, say? It says it says it's it's kind of like internet joke. So we'll see if you get it. Q sent me motherfuckers. Wait, who is Q? You also have to have Deadpool knowledge and understand how oh, yeah. internal monologue works because he kind of has two voices going on. He's always breaking the th- fourth wall. And then there's the other voice in his head. It says, doesn't matter. They want you to go in the Capitol. And it's like, but who is they, though? And then they is another joke, which I don't know if you remember the whole Kanye West stuff a while ago with they. We're obviously losing. Oh, yeah. 
Oh my god! Oh my god! So it's like it's layered with multiple internet jokes related to like oh, you know cool. January six and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Uh, it's definitely very much my style. Obviously, people see comic stuff. I'm into political stuff. So this is kind of like a perfect intersection. So it was a really cool gift. I appreciate that. That's really sweet. Go give him a follow. Also, like, share, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. Follow me on Twitter at Tower Gang Jose. Uh, if you want to support me financially uh, for the, you know, help out the show, patreon.com, Snowway Jose 2020. Like I said, pleasure is always Lisa. We'll do this again soon. Uh, hopefully, we, 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 we do this forever. We keep squeezing content out of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once you're interested, I'll yeah. keep talking. Yeah. So. No, but I am. I'm looking forward to. I mean, let me know whenever you finish Aberration of the Heart Run Little Real. It is is funny. Yeah, well, we should have a conversation about yeah. that. Yeah, because fantastic. there's there's so many crossovers with pretty much any anyone, but it's just funny every time. I'm always thinking as you're talking about. Oh yeah, there's that thing, but I'm like, I don't want to like go on a sidebar about okay. So. Yeah, no, I, I already see the the connections, and I'm sure there's mind control involved there too. So yep. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. yeah. Which that kind of ties into our le possible legal episode next week because one of the defense his defense counsel's uh, you know um, psychiatrist was a you know on basically uh, what's the word I'm looking for one of the students of Doctor West uh, Jolion West, which is incredible. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god! And there was multiple yeah. West hypnotized Jack men. Ruby among other people. Yes, very interesting character. Yeah, All right, yeah. cool. And, and there's cool. actually been recently. Uh, it's not in a book yet, so I don't really have anything specific to it. But Wendy Painting did in a podcast not too long ago. Anyone who follows my show knows this. I can't remember the specifics. I need to get it somewhere. It'd help if it was in text somewhere. But the so I get the specifics every time I quote this. But apparently, according to her, she's you know she's a good researcher, and I'm sure later on her next book or something it'll come out that you know with the sources specifically on this that supposedly Jolly West did meet actually with McVeigh because that was something that was wow. for a while ago. She found that out wow. recently. So apparently he was visiting with her or with him. So I don't know. Surprised me. Yeah, yeah. Not Somebody all. needs to do a book on West, and yeah. I just learned yeah. that his papers are like at UCLA, which isn't that far from where I live. But I have no time. <laughs> But somebody needs to write that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but with that, we're out of here. Uh, thanks, everyone, who showed up. Uh, and yeah, we are out. Okay. Uh,